Hey, good morning, everyone. My name is Ben. I'm the campus pastor here at our Noblesville campus, and I hope you'll go to Haiti with me in February. We, uh, that, uh, that video is obviously from this past July, but we're going again. Uh, we're going in February, and I'm going to be serving on that trip, and I hope you'll come with me. It's a, a great time. It's a great experience being down there and uh, something that you really can't put into words. Anyone who you would talk to who has experienced that would say the same is true. You really just have to go uh, to understand that experience. So I hope you'll be a part of that with us. There's more information on your What's Happening page about that trip. Um, Before we jump into what we're going to talk about this morning, I want to take just a minute to say... I know that there are a lot uh, of you who were gone last weekend. It was Labor Day weekend. There's no guilt in that statement because I was gone too, okay? I took a vacation Sunday last week, and we went and spent the weekend with my mom and dad. But here's what I want to say. When I got back into town, uh, I went online to GenesisChurch.me, and I listened to the podcast from last weekend. And, uh, and that message was all about Sabbath rest. Paul taught here and Kevin Russell taught over at our Carmel campus. We are wrapping up our Making Room for Life series. And, and I want to challenge you with something, church. If you weren't here last weekend or you haven't listened to that online yet, I want to challenge you and I want to ask that every person who calls Genesis Church home would do that. Would you just make yourself a note? Would you stick it somewhere where you'll see it? And sometime this week, would you go and listen to that message? Because I think the things that Paul talked about last weekend are so important to us as a church as we think about things like the the gift of rest that the Lord has given to us. And our culture just has gotten that wrong in so many ways. So I want us all to be on the same page with that, and I think you'll be thankful uh, that you took some time to listen and to implement those things. I want to invite you this morning to turn to Matthew chapter 28. If you didn't bring a Bible this morning, uh, there are some under the seats in front of you. Feel free to grab one of those. Uh, If you're using one of those Bibles, this is on page 698. And if you don't own a Bible, we'd like you to keep one of those as your own. It's our gift to you. But as Paul said this morning, we're going to talk about baptism. And depending on your background, uh, that might not seem like a very exciting topic to you. But I want you to know that at Genesis Church, we get excited about baptism. We get excited uh, about baptism Sundays. It gets a little bit loud around here on those days because those are the days when we get to see the fruit and the fulfillment of our mission of helping people find their way back to God. And so we celebrate it, and we're going to do that next weekend at both of our campuses and all of our services. It's going to be a great time. I hope you'll be here with us. And I want to take some time this morning to talk specifically about baptism. What is it? Why do we do it? What does it mean? And one of the things that I want you to know just right at the top of this message is that my agenda today really is that if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, if you are a Christian and you've never been baptized, I want you to be baptized. I want you to see why this is so important and why it's something that you should be a part of. And hopefully as we talk about these things and we look at God's word, you'll be motivated to take this step out of obedience to Christ. Now here's the thing. If you're a Christian or you grew up in any kind of a Christian home, you have some thoughts about baptism uh, that were most likely shaped by whatever tradition you grew up in. Some of you grew up Catholic, and infant baptism or child baptism is something that you're familiar with, maybe even something that you were a part of at a very young age. Some of you grew up Baptist, and you've got some thoughts on this topic, right? I mean, it is your name, after all. You're the Baptists, right? So you, uh, you surely know something about baptism. Maybe some of you grew up Methodist or Lutheran or Nazarene, but here's the thing. Regardless of the way that you were raised, regardless of what kind of church you might have grown up in, the reason why we all believe baptism is so important comes from the same verse in the Bible, and it's Matthew chapter 28, verse 19. Let's look at what it says together. 
This is Jesus talking, and he says, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And if you've experienced a baptism service here at Genesis, uh, you know that's what we say is we're baptizing people. We say we baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And you might have thought that was just some kind of cool church lingo that we made up in the office, but it's not. That's actually what Jesus commanded us to do. He, he said, when you baptize people, I want you to do it in my Father's name. And I want you to do it in my name. And I want you to do it in the name of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus says, wherever you go and wherever you make disciples, I want part of that process to be that people are baptized. Now, that's where all Christians agree, okay? But from there, uh, it goes in a lot of different directions. And people argue over things about whether or not babies should be sprinkled. And is sprinkling sufficient or should people be dunked? And if you do dunk people and, and somebody's arm doesn't go over are they, under, are they going to you know, only have one arm when they get to heaven? And all of these different things come into play. So this morning, I want to tell you what Scripture has to say about baptism. And I also want to look at just the historical context for baptism. And, and again, the point of all of this is that if you're a follower of Christ and you've never been baptized, I want you to obey these words of Jesus Christ. Because as I read the scriptures, I've been told that as a disciple of Jesus, as I make more disciples, I'm supposed to baptize you. We're, we're supposed to be baptized as disciples of Jesus. So to start this discussion, we need to talk about uh, the Greek, okay? Who woke up this morning and said, man, I hope they hit me with some Greek this morning? Anybody here? All right, that's great. Well, this is your day, okay? Here it is. It's just one word, and it's the word baptizo. We're going to put it up on the screen, and this is what it looks like in the, in the Greek. It's, it's pronounced baptizo. Would you say that with me? Baptizo. Yeah, it kind of rolls off your tongue a little bit. Now, the New Testament, as you probably know, was originally written in Greek, so the Bible that we're reading today is actually a translation from that original language into English. And the process of translating the Bible a lot of times was a one-to-one -one kind of translation. So you had a word in Greek and you had its English counterpart and it was one-to-one. -one. So you just put that word. So for instance, whenever the translators would come to the word theos in Greek, they would simply write the word God because theos in Greek is God in English. It's a one-to-one -one translation. But it wasn't always that easy. Some words didn't have and don't have an English counterpart. And baptizo, in some of its usage in the New Testament, is one of those words. So what happened in those instances uh, was not a translation, but rather a transliteration. And a transliteration is when you take a word from its original language and you simply take the letters of that language and you translate them into the, the letters of the new language. So, for instance, the, the English word baptize is the, the equivalent of each of these Greek letters that you see on the screen right now. So, as they, the translators were looking at this, they, they looked at that first letter. It's, it's beta, buh. So, it's obviously a B, right? The next letter, alpha. It's an A. The next, next letter is, is pi. It's a P. And so on as they went down the word. And they, what they landed with was the word baptize. So that word is not a translation from the Greek, it's a transliteration. A brand new word was formed in the English language because there was no suitable counterpart for it. And so what happened is that now in English, this word baptize, it's become an almost exclusively religious word. Okay? It was transliterated for religious purposes, and it, it's almost exclusively used in a religious context. But we need to understand that historically, 
That's not really the case. In the first century, the word baptizo that you see on the screen there was a very common word. If, if you, we could put up that next slide, Russ, the, uh, the meaning of this word baptizo is just simply to wash, to plunge, to soak, or to dip. And so that's what this would mean if someone said that word baptizo. One of the clearest examples that shows the common meaning of this word baptizo is a text from the Greek poet and physician Nicander. Now, Nicander lived about 200 BC, and he left us a recipe for making pickles. Okay, who's growing cucumbers in their garden right now? You might need to look up Nicander, okay? Because he says that, that in order to make a pickle, the vegetable should first be baptoed or dipped into a hot water solution, and then it should be baptizoed into a vinegar solution. And then when the pickle dies, it gets to go to heaven, right? Because it's been baptized. No, of course not. There's no religious context. It's just making pickles. And, and Nicander is just using this very common Greek term uh, to simply, you know, tell us that we need to wash, plunge, soak, or dip. Now, here's where it can get just a little bit confusing. Sometimes the translators of the English Bible would use the, the, the very common meaning of baptizo, and they would write the word wash. Other times, uh, they would transliterate it as baptize. And, and why was that? Well, let me give you just an example of where this word is not transliterated, but it's translated as wash. Here's the example. It's Mark uh, chapter 7, verse 4, and here's what it says. It says, when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And that word wash right there is the word baptizo. So before they eat, they need to get in a tub of water. They need somebody to put their hand over the nose, take them back in the water, lift them back up. They need to be baptized. Is that what we're saying? No, it's just saying they, they just need to wash their hands. Their hands are dirty. As you read on in Mark 7, 4, it says, And they observe many other traditions, such as the washing, and there it is again, that's the word baptizo, of cups, pitchers, and kettles. So do we need to baptize our dishes? No, of course not. It's just a common use of a common term. Wash your dishes. Baptizo your dishes. It's gross to eat on dirty dishes, so wash them first. That's what he's saying. So how did this very common word that just means to wash or to dip, how did it begin to take on a religious connotation, the, the religious understanding that it has today? In other words, when the translators got to this word that means wash, why didn't they just put wash? Why didn't Jesus just say, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, washing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. If they, they would have translated the word, that's exactly what that verse would have said. And let's be honest, that's kind of a funny mental picture, isn't it? Like the disciples would go around, you know, with a bar of soap and a sponge, washing you in the name of the Father and scrubbing you in the name of the Son. But the, the thing is, there's something different about the context of this word in Jesus' command. And here's why. In the Old Testament period, and in the 400 years between when the Old Testament was written and when the New Testament was written, um, Gentiles, that's people who aren't Jewish, would oftentimes visit Palestine. And they would experience Jewish culture and Jewish customs and the Jewish religion. And sometimes a Gentile would actually desire to become a Jew. And so they wanted to dress like the Jews and eat like the Jews and worship like the Jews. And they would ask, is there a way that I can become like you? Is there a way that I can become Jewish? So over the years, the Jewish leaders came up with a system by which a Gentile 
could become a Jew. Now, obviously, the Gentiles couldn't be born again into Jewish lineage, but a process was created in order to convert to Judaism. And different literature lays out different stipulations for us uh, about what the process involved. But basically, all of the lists bailed, uh, boil down to, to these five things that you would have to do to move from being a Gentile to becoming a Jew. The first was circumcision, Okay. If you're a Gentile man and you want to become a Jew, you would have to have a little surgery, okay? And so just in my mind, I'm not saying historically this is true, but in my mind, I'm guessing that most of the converts were probably women, okay? (laughs) It's just a guess. Second, there would be a covenant meal, okay? This was a meal that somehow reflected the essence of, of Passover, the Passover meal. Third, there would be an acknowledgement of the law. You would have to surrender to the law of Moses, and in some cases, you would have to memorize parts or, or all of the law of Moses. Fourth, there was a sacrifice that had to be made, and depending on what time period you were living in, the sacrifice was a little bit different. Uh, but finally, the last thing that, that would take place is a ceremonial washing, and it was something that you did all by yourself, it's something you did alone, and it re- represented, I'm cleansing myself of my Gentile ways, I'm cleansing myself of my sin, and I'm cleansing myself to now identify with the God of the Jews. And again, this is going to be important later, so don't forget this. No one did this for you. It was a washing that you did in private by yourself. And the word that was described to use this washing was, you guessed it, baptizo. But it wasn't just the word baptizo. It was a specific kind of baptizo. It was a ceremonial baptizo. It wasn't the same as washing your dishes or washing your hands. It had a religious connotation. The ceremonial washing, it indicated a change. It it was a leaving behind of the Gentile way of living. And it was an embracing of the ways of the Jewish people. So with all of that as a backdrop, all of that history about uh, the ceremonial baptizo, in about 30 AD, a wild-eyed crazy man came on the scene, and he was wearing animal skins, and he was eating locust and honey, and he was living out in the countryside, and he began preaching a a message that said, repent, repent. For God is coming. And he was saying, you know, we need to get right with God. He's going to be walking amongst us, and we need to to be right with him so that we won't miss it. And then he went down into the Jordan River, and he said, if you're ready to repent, I want you to come down into the water with me. And whatever he did, it looked like some kind of ceremonial washing. And so when they would go and write and describe what it was that he was doing, guess what word they used? It was baptizo. He was baptizoing them. But the Jews understood that John wasn't washing the people of their dirt. He wasn't breaking out the soap and the shampoo. He was somehow associating this washing that he was doing with his message. This is like when a Gentile would become a Jew. John's baptizo was the same kind of thing. Somehow through it, the Jews were becoming something new, something different. And after a while, John got a nickname, didn't he? We know him as John the Baptist. That's how most of us think of him. But check this out. This is so interesting to me. When we see John's name written in Greek, this is what it looks like. It's John the Baptistes. That's what that says, John the Baptistes. Now, here's what's so interesting. This is obviously a derivative of the word baptizo that we looked at before. But this word is, is not used in any other literature except for early Christian literature. It's understood that this term originated in the Greek New Testament. And here's what that tells us. 
It tells us that when the people saw John performing this ceremonial washing, they didn't know what to call it. They'd never seen this before. Remember what I said about the, the conversion from Gentile to Jew. This, the washing that you did in that conversion was something that you did all by yourself, all alone. But now, here stands John in the Jordan River, and, and he's doing the washing. And people are watching this, and they're thinking, well, it's kind of the same, but, it, but it's different also. And so they come up with this new word, John the Baptiste, which literally means John the washer, or John the immerser, John the dipper. Okay, And what people were doing in this brand new ceremonial washing was that they were declaring that I believe what John is saying is true. But it wasn't enough just to stand on the banks of the river and to throw out an amen. Yeah, John, I believe you. No, John says, if you believe this, I want you to get down here in the water with me. And I want you to go public with what you believe. I I want you to be baptized. And the people responded, and they were lining up to experience this new baptizo that John was calling people to. So one day, as John is doing this, he's, he's in the Jordan River, and he's baptizing people. He looks up, and he sees a man walking on the bank of the Jordan River, and he says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And it was Jesus. You can read later if you want to in Matthew chapter 3. That's where this account is found. But John says, there he is. This is the one who I've been talking about. And Jesus comes down into the river. He comes over to John and he says a very peculiar thing. He says, John, I need you to baptizo me. I need you to wash me. And John replies the way any of us should. He says, I'm not going to wash you. I'm not going to baptizo you. You need to baptizo me. You have nothing to be baptized of. And John says, I'm not even worthy to lace up your sandals, let alone to baptize you. But John responds, or Jesus responds rather, no, this is necessary that you baptize me. Why? I mean, John was right. Jesus didn't have anything to repent of. You know, he had nothing to be cleansed of. But what Jesus is doing in this moment is understood to be the beginning of his public ministry. And Jesus starts with this very public act of being baptized. And then after Jesus uh, was baptized, then we see next that, that he and his disciples, they go out and they start baptizing people. Actually, only his disciples do the baptizing. So Jesus would teach, people would hear and believe, and his disciples would begin baptizing the people. And then after Jesus' death and resurrection, as he's getting ready to leave the earth, he leaves us with this final instruction. Go make disciples and baptize them. It's not enough just to follow Jesus on the inside. He says, I want evidence of it on the outside. I want you to be baptized. So with all of that understanding of how this practice of baptism came to be, I want to share just very quickly four things that we here at Genesis Church hold true about baptism. And the first is this. If you're taking notes, you can fill these in. The first is this. Baptism represents death, burial, and resurrection. Whenever you see someone being baptized, you can know that this is a picture and a reminder and an association with the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Let me read for you Romans 6 verses 3 through 4. It says this, it says, or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? 
We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. So again, if you've ever been a part of a a baptism celebration here at Genesis Church, you know that when we're baptizing people, we say two things. Right before we put somebody under, we say dead to sin. And then as we're bringing them back up, we say alive in Christ. And that's what baptism represents. Just as Christ died and was buried and was raised again, so are we dying to our sin, dying to our old way of life. We are buried in the water of baptism, and then we rise again to live into the new life that Christ has called us to. It's why our shirts that we give people to be baptized in, it's why they say alive on them, because we understand that as we're coming out of the water, that we're alive as new creations in Jesus Christ. And I just want to say, if you have one of those shirts, if you've been baptized here and you have an alive shirt, I want to encourage you to wear it next weekend as part of our celebration as we celebrate that new life that we have in Christ. So baptism represents death, burial, and resurrection. Here's another thing we hold true about baptism at Genesis Church. is that baptism is a personal declaration. It's a personal declaration. Baptism is for people who have decided on their own that they want to follow Jesus and they want to obey him by being baptized. And this is why Genesis Church does not baptize infants. We don't baptize very young children. In fact, if you've gone through our dive class or as you go through it today, one of the things that you'll probably realize is that we, we will actually discourage you from entertaining the thought of having your children baptized too young. And the reason that we do that is because we see that later in life, these kids who are baptized very young that, that they all say the same thing. They say, I don't know what I was doing. It wasn't my decision. I didn't really understand. And now that I'm older, I want to make that choice for myself. And we know that there are some of you who have this feeling of, you know, I've got to get them in. I've got to get them dunked. What if something happens? You know, I've got to get this taken care of. And maybe that comes from the way that you were taught, the way that you were brought up. But listen, I just want to speak very clearly to you if you have that kind of thought in your mind. There is absolutely nowhere in Scripture where it suggests that God would be angry if a child dies who hasn't been baptized. You can't show me one place in Scripture where it even hints at that. In fact, the, the picture that we get in, in uh, the New Testament really is that, that there's, there's no infant who was ever baptized, and we don't even see a, a clear example of a small child being baptized. It always starts with a personal decision to follow Jesus Christ, and obviously an infant can't make that kind of a decision. Most very small children can't make that kind of a decision. So what I would say to you is this. If your child is old enough to understand the problem of their sin, and if your child is old enough to to know what Christ has done for their sin problem, and if from that understanding they have expressed a desire to repent and to be baptized, and if they can do that without any prompting or prodding from you, mom and dad, and I'm speaking to myself here because I still have two kids who have not been baptized yet, if they can do that with any prompting, without any prompting or prodding from us, then it's time to have the conversation. But, but if those things aren't true, don't force it. Don't push it. Trust the Lord to move and to work in your kids' hearts. Let me also say this. I realize that there are some of you here today who are baptized as infants or as very young children, and it truly was your parents' decision, not yours. What I would say to you is that, that if that's you, I believe it's time for you to honor your parents' original intentions and to fully embrace what they started in your life at a very young age. 
Uh, and the way that you would do that is by making this decision your own, by being baptized of your own will and making that decision uh, to be obedient to Christ. I believe it's time for you to be baptized as an adult. I know this can sometimes be tricky in conversations with parents, and why would you do that again? And it's already taken care of, and, and uh, it's already, you know, it's a done deal. But if you've never been baptized of your own personal will and your own personal decision, I think this is still an act of obedience that you need to take. Because baptism is a personal declaration. Here's the third thing that I want to say to you about baptism this morning. We at Genesis Church hold to be true that baptism is also a public declaration. It's a public declaration. It's deciding to go public with your faith. It's going public with the fact that I'm associating with the message and the person of Jesus Christ. That's why we have baptism celebrations on Sunday mornings. It's not that we can't set the tub up during the week and do it on an off time. It's just that if we did it that way, who would know? I mean, who would you be making this declaration to? I think about uh, when I asked my wife to marry me. And uh, I've told that story before, but what if in that moment, what if when I said, Bethany, will you marry me? What if she said, yes, I will marry you, but I don't want anyone to know, okay? I don't want to tell anybody. I don't want to have a ceremony. Let's just keep it between me and you, but I love you, honey. <laughs> My wife actually did say that to me, and uh, she still makes me walk like 10 feet behind her at Walmart. It's not good, guys. It's not good. I'm just kidding. She didn't say that. But what if she had? That, you know, that should be a red flag in the relationship, right? It should be an absolute red flag. There's a public aspect to getting married, and it's the same with baptism. We're going to talk a little bit further about this point in just a moment, about why this is so important. So hang on to that thought. But let me just give you the fourth point here real quick. It's that at Genesis Church, we believe that baptism is evidence of salvation, and some of you grew up with a teaching that says that you have to be baptized to be saved. And if you die and you haven't been baptized, there's no hope of salvation for you. At Genesis Church, we believe that the New Testament clearly tells us and shows us that baptism is really an evidence of something that has already happened on the inside. It's a natural next step after you've believed in your heart and confessed with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. And Jesus has commanded that his followers take this next step and that we go public with a personal decision to follow Jesus Christ. But it's not a if you don't, then he won't kind of thing. We don't find that kind of logic anywhere in Scripture. But it is a command. It is a necessary next step for those who have submitted to Christ's lordship. So here's the deal. I, I want to ask you two questions just as we kind of bring this to a close this morning. And you don't have to answer these out loud. They're just for you to consider in your head. But I do want you to answer them, and I want you to answer them honestly. Question number one. Are you a Christian? If someone were to ask you today, are you a Christian? Are you a follower of Jesus Christ? What would your answer be? And question number two, have you been baptized? As an adult of your own decision, of your own free will, have you obeyed Christ to this command? And I just want to very boldly say this morning that if you answered yes to question number one and no to question number two, then you need to be baptized you need to be baptized because to be a follower of Jesus Christ is to do what he has commanded and demonstrated for us. Jesus said, be baptized. This is simply a point of obedience and it's a point of discipleship. And I know that there are a number of different reasons why people don't want to get baptized. 
there may be some fear involved of what will people think or what will your parents think if you were involved, you know, in a, a child baptism or infant baptism. Some of you just don't want to get up in front of a bunch of people. You don't want to get soaking wet. You're worried about what your hair might look like. I didn't have to worry about that, but some of you probably do. You know, some of you might be afraid that, that we're going to hold you under too long. You won't be able to breathe. I, I bet there's a lot of reasons a lot of different excuses that maybe you've used to talk yourself out of being baptized. But let me try to just put this into perspective for you this morning. And I just want to recognize this is cheating a little bit, okay? But it's also very true. This is what it comes down to. Jesus died for you. He died for you. Jesus bled to death for your sins and for mine. The things that Christ endured, even just in leading up to the cross, were so brutal and so horrific that if I went into great detail here right now, some of you would want to leave. Some of you who have small children in the room would cover their ears and take them out. The prophet Isaiah told us in the Old Testament that that Jesus would be so mutilated and so disfigured that we wouldn't even recognize that he was a man. That's what Jesus endured for your sin and for mine. That's what our sin cost Jesus, and he didn't have to endure it. He he was God. He, He didn't have to come down to this earth. He didn't have to endure the torture, the beating, the murder, but he did it for you and for me. He chose that because of his great love for us, and don't you think that working through your fears of what people might think and, and getting up in, you know, in front and whatever your concern is, I appreciate it, but come on, don't we all kind of lose our excuses in light of what Jesus, our Savior, has done for us? And then to think that what he has done in you can be shared with so many other people because let me tell you what's going to happen here next weekend. I, I guarantee this. We see it every single time. Here's what's going to happen. On the day that you decide to be baptized, there will be someone sitting in this audience who's going to see you take that step of obedience, that step of faith, and they're going to think to themselves, man, if he, if he can overcome that, maybe I can too. You know, if she can leave that in her past, maybe, maybe I can too. Maybe, maybe Jesus can wash me of this junk too. And you may never know their name, but they may never forget your story because it was the one thing that God used to help them find their way back to himself. So if you've made a decision to follow Christ and you're thinking, man, I don't want to do that. I don't want to get baptized. Please listen. Don't rob the rest of us of what God is doing in your life. Don't rob the rest of us of knowing how he has changed you. Don't rob the person who needs to hear about the hope of Jesus in a very similar situation to your own. Be bold. Be obedient. Go public. Will you do it? Will you do it? If you're ready and you're realizing that you need to be baptized, here's where it starts. And we don't usually do this, and this might seem a little bit awkward, but I want to ask that if you're ready to take this next step, that you would stand up right here, right where you are this morning. I want to invite you to stand up because I want to pray for you this morning. And again, I know it might be awkward, but here's the thing. If you're going to be baptized next weekend, everybody's going to know it anyway. (laughs) and I would love to pray for you this morning. If there are some here this morning who know that's your step, would you stand up? Would you stand up so I can pray for you? Thank you, I see you. Thank you. Thanks for being bold. Let me pray for you this morning. Father God, thank you so much for your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for what he endured on our behalf. Thank you for your great love for us, Lord, that Christ would, would be 
tortured, that he would be murdered, that his blood could cover over a multitude of sins, Father, that we could be free, that we could know hope, that we could have an eternity with you. And Father, thank you that through this ceremonial washing, this baptizo, that we can, can partner with you in the death and the burial and the resurrection, Father, of a new life. Lord, I thank you for my brothers and sisters who have taken a bold stand here this morning and who will take a stand uh, next weekend, Father. I pray that you would continue just to, to foster boldness in their hearts for you, boldness to go public with their faith. And I pray for others in this room this morning, God, who you are stirring in but just weren't quite ready to stand up this morning, God. Maybe there are some others here this morning who need to take this next step of obedience. And God, I pray that, that your spirit would give them boldness as well to do that and that you would find them obedient to your call to be baptized. Lord, we love you. And it's in Christ's name that we pray, amen.